0: don't know who they are because they don't they haven't had to think about who they are you know when you you ask half of them do you like this i don't know i do it every week you know like i don't know anything else you're
1: listening to the bridging impact podcast transforming leaders on and off the court with host coach Furtado. without further ado let's dive in everyone and welcome back to another episode of the bridging impact podcast i have a wonderful guest today kirsten jones kirsten jones is a member of the college of williams and mary hall of fame for volleyball she also worked for nike for 14 years in portland oregon go ducks gotta sneak that in there (laughs) she is currently a motivational speaker a writer and peak performance coach for teens pro athletes entrepreneurs and business leaders so also a podcast host as well for the raising athletes podcast and has a new book you can see it in the back if you are watching raising empowered athletes so welcome to the show kirsten i'm thrilled to have you on
0: thank you coach i'm so happy to be here excited to share like-minded share ideas it's fun
1: there we go so let's dive right in um we always give the nice easy softball question how has sports made an impact on your life
0: So I grew up in the Northwest as well. You went to college there, but I I grew up in Missoula, Montana, played every sport under the sun um, as we did back in the seventies. I'm a kid of the seventies and eighties and then got recruited for one sport. Well, mostly one sport basketball, but had got introduced to volleyball in, in high school is when I first started playing it. And Tried out for the junior national team, and the San Diego State assistant coach happened to be there, and so I showed I chased her down the runway at the Denver airport and said, "You should, you should recruit me." Um, and she said, "Okay, you can walk on." Um, and so I walked on to San Diego State. My parents thankfully supported that idea, even though I had had a full ride offer to go to Montana and play basketball and volleyball. But luckily, had very supportive parents who said, "If that's what you want to do, go for it." Um, got to San Diego State, ended up working into a full ride, but, um, but didn't have a great fit, didn't have a great connection, had never met the head coach, had never met the team, had never been to the campus. Shocker, it wasn't a good fit, um, but then ended up transferring to William & Mary in Virginia. My older sister had gone to UVA um, and ended up having the most amazing experience at William & Mary, still D1, still playing top 25 volleyball. Um, but got a phenomenal education, played for a woman who was in my wedding, who I still speak to on a weekly basis. Um, and it kind of, I think, set the, the the tone for what I really wanted to do. I didn't know at the time, but ended up moving to Eastern Europe, um, kind of wandered in the Eastern European desert for a couple of years before I found Nike um, and met uh, this cute guy from Eugene, Oregon, in an Irish pub. Hey and we said hey what do we want to do and he said i want to work for nike and said, i said so do i so i moved to vienna austria and started there and 15 years in vienna stockholm amsterdam and ultimately world headquarters um and my last or one of my last jobs at nike was basically creating an internal mba where we got design development product marketing all the way from the most senior leaders at Nike, all the way to the you know, ground floor uh, in global footwear and teaching them, how do we come up with, how do we, you know, basically what you do on the court, which is teamwork, ideation, collaboration. How do we come up with good ideas? How do we get to great products? And this cl- course actually created a few um, amazing products out of it just by the, the epiphanies that people had in the class. So it was when I was teaching that, that I was like, ooh, this is really fun. I love helping people figure out what's getting in their way, what's holding them back, and how they can help themselves. And I think we all have limiting beliefs. We all have things that are become our Achilles heels. And if we can name it to tame it and figure it out, then we can move forward. And so that was kind of a, the groundwork for what I'm doing now, which I ended up getting certified through Tony Robbins in life coaching. And for the last eight years, have been working with parents and their athletes and in the last five years now, have the podcast with Susie Walton, uh, Luke Walton's mom, and Bill Walton's ex-wife, uh, where we talk to coaches and athletes and and parents and authors about everything youth sports and the twenty billion dollar business that it is right now and how crazy it's gotten um, to try to support your kid because I believe most parents. I think all parents want to do what's best for their kid. Nobody's setting out to screw their child up. <laughs> They're all doing the best they can with what they have from where they are, which I'm leading into the book. But that's the book I, did, I chose to write, which is the one that I wanted to read when, when I was – my kids were little. Mine are now almost 23, 20, and 17 but when I was at Nike, and I'm raising my own athletes, and I'm looking around at all these Nike people, and everybody hands you what to expect when you're expecting when you get pregnant, and you get so excited as a as a you know parent, because you're like, Oh, I know exactly what to do. And then you get to kick and chase or ball or and you're looking around and these parents are going, Well, you're not going to do this wreck thing, are you right? You're going to do club like, Oh, we have a coach, and we're going to Sweden this summer. Mm-hmm. And you're like, He's five, <laughs> <laughs> and yet you feel FOMO. You feel like I'm doing it wrong already. I'm gonna be way behind. My kid's gonna not keep up. And that's when the race to nowhere starts.
1: Well, we have a lot to dive in there, and I think <laughs> You know, you kind of talked about, you touched on the $20 billion business. You talked about keeping up with the Joneses, which is what I think club basketball, club soccer, club volleyball is personally in terms of the sports world. But before we dive into that, you talked about how meaningful that relationship is with your coach at Williams and Mary, someone who was at your wedding, someone you talk to every single week. I'm just curious how that relationship and for the coaches that are listening the impact that they can have on their athletes be <laughs> my little pitch but no. beyond the game of sports um really can have for an, for a human being
0: yeah when when a coach and i talk about this in the book is there's you know different types of coaches you have transactional coaches who are there right. to get a win who are there to get the trophy who are there to put their name on the banner and you have transformational coaches, the John Woodens of the world who are there to transform the people. And by transforming the people, the results follow. And my coach, Debbie Hill was a transformational coach. She cared far more about me as a person than she did whether, whether we won matches. And as an outcome of her investing in me as a person and everything that I was going through, Um, In fact, we would have check-ins for 20 minutes and it got to the point where we were kind of like, all right, enough with the talking, but she was so (laughs) invested in the people that it was far more important for her that everybody felt heard and seen that that's what allowed for the, the playing to happen on the court free. And you, you didn't play with fear. You didn't play with, and I see now, including my two sons playing for coaches who only care about the win. And what you see is the internal angst and the anxiety and the overwhelm and the depression and the, and a lot of it is unwarranted. I know the coach doesn't feel that way, but just because they don't lead with investing in the, in the child or now the teen or college student first, then you don't get the results that you want.
1: That's so important. And that's something I talk about all the time. So A crash course, give me to what, what is a transformational coach? What is it, what do their practices look like? What do their games, you know, their pre-games or their post-game look like in comparison to let's say a transactional coach?
0: Well, transactional coaches, I mean mine, I'm the leader. I'm going to tell you what to do. You're going to respond to what I ask to do. I'm going to say jump and you're going to say how high and it's fear-based. Um, and, and you can get results this way. And there's a lot of coaches that do, and that's why it works. And so, um, I don't know if this is the right person or the right, but right now, Deion Sanders is having his moment right in Colorado. And I just heard him on a 60 minutes interview. And the first question was, who's the best coach? And he said, get me a mirror. I want to look at myself. And yeah, he's three and O right now and he's getting results and he's all about, He's got a great sense of who he is. And I think there's a lot of good that comes with that. But at what peril if, you know, he walked in uh, to the guys that were one and nine the year before or one and 12 the year before and said, all of you need to get in the portal. You're all worthless to me. Okay, maybe that's right. He is recreating his team. He needed to put together a winning, but it's, it's not only the what, but it's the how. How do we treat people? And you can get what you want without breaking them down and stepping on them and making them feel less than. And I see it right now at the college level, mostly where I'm focused is volleyball and basketball. Um, and where you see those coaches that, without ranting or raving, without demeaning or demoralizing, get really good results. And then you see the opposite, where they get they do get results but at what cost? And now, I mean, we could spend an hour, right? Talking about the transfer portal and NIL and all of that and why people are so excited about trying to jump in there thinking it's going to be better. You know, the grass is going to be greener somewhere else, but I'm afraid when, as a society, when we value only value winning, we don't value progress over perfection, then we're going to get a lot more of that.
1: I 100% agree. And I think this is a great opportunity to kind of dive into the youth side of things that you were touching on in the beginning of your points. Because that's what club club sports are all about winning, right? In, in general, there are, you know, I am like, i don't know what the percentage there, there are programs, right? Like, like we were talking about before we hopped on here that are development focused. But in general, the the kind of youth sports system that is designed today is designed to win, right? But that's for professional athletes, right? That are entertaining us and obviously collegiate sports. And there's a lot of money involved, right? You talked about it's a $20 billion business now. So can you talk about where we are right now in the state of youth sports and how we got here?
0: Yeah, so thank you. That's that's the tee up to my book, quite honestly, which was if you look back at history and I just did a deep dive when I started to think about how am I gonna frame this up? You look back, in the 60s and 70s, about 24% of women worked outside of the home. So you had single-income families. By the time we get to the 70s and 80s, that number doubled. So now we have, A, twice the amount of money, the, the expendable income for parents to spend. But, B, we need something for these kids to do because mom isn't home, dad isn't home. So sending them outside to play in the street until the lights go out worked for a while. But in the late 70s, Adam Walsh is ab- abducted. And on the news, thirty-eight million people turn tune in live to hear about him being abducted abdu- abducted and killed. And now we're being told as a society it's not safe. You can't just send your kids out into the street and feel like they're gonna be okay. Well, that really is a misnomer. And in fact, less than one percent of any abduction happens by somebody that you don't know. That's what society started hearing. At the same time, again late seventies, early eighties, America's kids are stupid we're falling behind there's this all of a sudden this concern that we're not keeping up academically either so you have parents that are not available but have more money um oh, oh and we need our kids to you know we're we're going to be losing as an as an industrial industrialized nation and then 1979 ESPN comes online right so now i can turn on the tv and at any time i can see tiger woods or Nadia Comaneci or Wayne Gretzky or Andre Agassi and the 10,000 hour rule, you know, in the mid 80s, late, not early 90s, you hear Malcolm Gladwell talk about um, Anders uh, Erickson's work, which is if I put 10,000 hours into anything, you too can raise a prodigy. So that whole kind of I call it like the frog in the pot. I don't think it was any one thing, and I don't think anybody woke up one day and said, "Ooh, I'm gonna really invest in." But okay, dads are like, "Okay, I gotta I gotta be more involved." So now I'm gonna coach, and then, okay, that's fun, and my, you know my team beat Joey's team. Okay, now what if we got a little bit better? We'll recruit Tommy. So we start, you know, the parents start organizing versus. You know, the kids going outside, they make the rules. They call the fouls. They figure out who's going to win. They figure out how long they're going to play. Now parent led organization ha- happens with all the sports. I mean, I had a client the other day saying her 10 year old, um, she's a surfer, she's a really good surfer. And she goes, so I took her to the skate park and my, she says, my daughter takes off her helmet and looks at me and she goes, and she goes, well, you're going to try it. She goes, "Oh, I-, I can't do this. I've, I've never had lessons before. You know, so we've gotten away from where kids just would try things just to see what would happen to now everything has to be organized and you have to sign up for a lesson and you have to have a coach and you have to, and, and that's, what's kind of been this evolution to where we are signing them up for kick and chase at three, you know, we are doing in school, we're doing not kindergarten isn't good enough. We're doing PK and TK and like out of the womb. We've got them on a curriculum path academically and sports wise. And what it's leading to is, you know, drone, helicopter, pick your metaphor, you know, parenting that's led to these kids who don't have any agency over who they are. They don't know who they are because they don't, they haven't had to think about who they are. You know, when when you ask half of them, do you like this? I don't know. I do it every week, you know, like... I don't know anything else, you know? I have, I wrote about a client in the book and I sat there, I wanted to cry for her because she said, this is what my dad likes. And I said, yeah, but what if you played on the twos team and then you get to play more and you have more friends? She says, yeah, but my dad doesn't want me on the twos team. He only wants me on the ones team because it doesn't, if he's paying this much money, it, it wouldn't make any sense for me to be on the twos team. We've lost the plot. The kid is is, Not the forefront of our of our decision. It's our own parenting ego of how would this make me look if my kid isn't playing on the top team, if my kid isn't winning the trophy, if my kid ultimately isn't getting recruited.
1: I mean, as I hear you, I'm I'm here, one parent over here that I've oh I heard this story over here, and like it's all making sense because as as you mentioned, I think one of the things that makes me the most nervous is what you kind of said is like, they when you ask them what they want, they say, I don't know, right? They don't have that agency that, you know, kind of empowerment. And, you know, I'm going to ask you this question from two hats, right, the hat of the coach and how I can implement and and empower, you know, kind of, you know, a give back agency into to my athletes, and also the the hat of like, because I'm a program director, and how can I design Mm -hmm. it into my program? And I know your book dives into this. But you know, what are some of the steps we need to be taking to to give back that agency to, you know, having it be a little bit more, you know, player led, right? Mm-hmm. Kid led versus coach led or parent led. Um, because, you know, I watch it, right? They don't even know how to like, go and do runs by themselves. Right. I remember, you know, it wasn't that, like I was telling you not that long ago, I, I graduated from high school it was about seven years ago. And I remember one of my buddies had like a nice half court house uh, or half court at his house. Um, and we would organize ourselves. We'd go play pickup there and be it'd be a lot of fun. And I have a couple of athletes who might want to do that, but it, I don't, I can't imagine this group, you know, texting a full group chat being like, let's go play threes. Let's go play fives, you know, and, mm-hmm. but I feel like that they're capable of it. It's not like they can't, it's just, they don't have those skills. So I, I just would love to learn how I can kind of pass that ball to them.
0: So when they're young, so I'm talking before 13, so five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10, for sure. Maybe as you get into the teens, it shifts a little bit, but when they're young parents try everything. What we know about multiple sport athletes is they're more adjusted, their body, they're more athletic because they've used their body and their brains in different ways. Our brains are super plastic at that age. And when you're ideally you have them playing an instrument and learning a second language and trying a bunch of sports like that's the time when they are literally sponges. The older we get, the less plasticity our brains have, the harder it is for us to learn things. Kids are 10 times more likely to pick up a habit, to adopt a habit than we are. Good news, you can pick up a language faster, you can pick up a sport faster. Bad news, if you're exposed to bad things, i.e. drugs or video games. Also, you're highly more. it's highly more addictive. The brain is highly more addictive, good or bad. So what we're exposing them to, when they are young is very important and putting them in good again it's it's less about what the parent says you know it kind of becomes peanuts wah-wah, 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 for a while right where the kids are like i know their mouth is moving but i'm not listening to them i'm listening to what my peers are saying which is important and and, and great because they're also figuring out who they are so exposing them to a lot of sports my rule is you sign up for one you finish the season borrowing, barring any, obviously, if there's anything that has to do with, with them, it being in any jeopardy or being hurt or being abusive or any of that, obviously it's out. But if it's just a normal season and I'm halfway through karate lessons or halfway through the soccer season and I don't like soccer. Okay, great. That's good to know. Finish the last six weeks and then we'll pivot. And then we pivot. We pick something else and we try a bunch of different things. And I was on a women's podcast yesterday, and she said her husband's a whatever nationally ranked cyclist, road bike. And he said, she said, my son doesn't really like it, but we all go out on Sundays and bike. And he's eleven, and he doesn't really like it. But it's one of those things that ten years from now, when he can jump on a road bike and just go have fun, he's going to appreciate the fact that his parents exposed him to that. You know, my parents made me play, take piano and ballet, which ugh was like. Nails on a chalkboard. My sisters loved it. I couldn't stand it. But I now appreciate when I sit down and watch John Legend perform. Wow, what an amazing talent, right? So we're trying to build a broad base of exposure versus what you see a lot happening now is, you know, at five, we've been baseball, 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 you know, and I have a story in the book about a kid who, with golf. And the dad, he wasn't a tiger dad. He wasn't. He didn't have a big agenda. He just saw his kid love golf, and they'd go to the driving range. And the, the you know the pro said, "Gosh, he's really good." So we started taking lessons. He started playing on the junior tour. Next thing you know, we're traveling to every event with my wife and other four kids. He gets to his junior year in high school. He gets recruited by Stanford. So he wins the whole enchilada. He's going to Stanford on a full ride golf scholarship. The dad's like. I'm so thrilled. We, we actually got what we, and about three months before he's ready to leave, he comes to his parents and he says, I'm done golfing. I'm not going to Stanford. His dad's like, I'm sorry, excuse me. And it wasn't misguided parenting. He was just following his, what he thought was the, was the path. But that's where I say it's really important to keep checking in with them. Because at some point, your ch- the, your child's only wish is to make you happy. That's it. They want to make you happy. And if they see you attached to this dream of, yeah, 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 at eight, he said he wants to go play golf for Stanford, go Cardinal, we're doing that. And and maybe that's true. And maybe that's true all the way up to 16. And then he's like, you know what, this, this has been really fun. But I've been a pro athlete for the last, you know, 11 years, and I'm ready to do something else. And so, yes, there are the Tiger Woods of the world, 0.0001% will go on to have those kind of careers. But parents who truly care about raising an empowered athlete, a kid with agency, somebody who's going to take everything they learn from golf and now apply it to, you know, architecture or industrial engineering or whatever their next venture is, like that's the win that's the opportunity versus saying we're all in and we we've got to ride this all the way to Sunday night football or whatever the vision is.
1: Right. That that's exactly the, forefront right we have this vision and this is who they're going to be but i actually think most of their thinking or not not thinking but you know decision making is short-sighted right you know we talked about right before we came on 70 percent of athletes quit sports by 13 right and that's it's a shame because i mean sports are still important to me granted you know it's coaching it's my life but i still play it like i have a men's league tonight a little playoff game it's fun like i'm get to be physically active like that's something that's really important um And so can you talk about how exploring in that range actually helps like their longevity with whichever sport they pick or whether it's piano or guitar, you know, like having that broad and like being a kid and like, I don't know, rest. Right. I think I I feel like it might just be a cultural thing, too, in terms of like Mm -hmm. specialization and, you know, working until You know, our our feet fall off, or whatever saying you want to talk about. Um, Can you just talk about how you know we should really focus on having them just play through through high school, not necessarily always you know play to right be Tiger Woods or whoever may be.
0: It was in the mid seventies that Tommy John had. He was a pro baseball player that had the elbow industry. He was the first one ever in the 1970s to need to have this ligament repaired. Now parents, now there are doctors that only focus on that for teenagers. Teenagers go in and opt to have that surgery because they found that it actually makes them better pitchers. So we're doing pitch counts. We're doing projecting. You know, there's a kid on the cover of SI a couple of years ago who, who's I think at the time was 11 and projected to be the next, you know what he hasn't even hit puberty yet. You don't know what's going to happen when puberty kicks in. And yes, he may grow into B6.5 and yes, it may all work out, but you're putting a lot of eggs and pressure on a basket that there's so much to be determined. So to your point, overuse, injury, mental burnout. I mean, even back in my day, which, okay, I'm 53, but I remember having not played volleyball much in high school because it wasn't a sanctioned sport. We didn't have a club team. We didn't have club sports. So we just played whatever sport was in season. But so I wasn't a great volleyball player, but I had played all the other sports. But all of my teammates who had played 12 months a year of club volleyball were burned out. They were good athletes, but most of them said, ugh. I'm like, I mean, they, they weren't. To your point, they didn't want to just go play pickup because it's fun. They were like, okay, it's a job. I'm getting my education paid for. Check. And that's where we've lost the plot. We've lost this idea that kids, in fact, there's an app now that you can do pickup soccer. Maybe you can do it with basketball too. And I have a friend whose son's in New York and he's in college and he, you can find a meetup and go play pickup soccer. And like, that's brilliant because it's not about the trophy, it's not about getting into a certain league. It's just about having fun because they truly enjoy the physical movement and that's what we know. When when our kids stay active from 13 to 23, less anxiety, less depression, better health, less overwhelm, they're going to be in a better they're going to pick better relationships. So it's it's not about what we think we think we're signing up for at the beginning. It's about kind of like, I I like to think of it if you do that exercise where like pretend you're 80 or 90 years old and look back on your life and say what mattered most to you and what you think is going to matter most was we won the state championship. Yes, that was fun, but it was the teammates that I made. It was that learning how to lose. It was learning how to win. It was you know, getting kicked off that team, not playing. I mean, I've been the parent on the bench where my kid was the star and I've been my, the one where my kid was the only one who did not play at the travel tournament that we flew 10 hours to get to. Right. And those are hard. And this one, I learned a lot, you know, the one that didn't feel good. I remember a lot more clearly. Right. So sometimes parents, we think we're signing up for one thing, but when we allow them to experience it, and that's the hard part, is what what we want to do as parents is take the pain away. So we're going to go to a different club. We're going to go to a different teacher. We're going to move to a different school. And we're not allowed, we're, you're, obviously that coach doesn't know what they're doing if you're not playing. No, we need to empower them. So what can you do about this? Okay, you're not playing. What do you need to know? Have you gone to the coach? What kind of, you know, what, what kind of tools do I need? Do I have a teammate I can ask for feedback from? Is there somebody that's one step ahead of me? I'm on the freshman team. There's somebody on the JV team that'll stay after and shoot with me and teach me. We, sometimes we just need success leaves clues. And we need somebody that's one or two steps ahead of us. We don't need a 50 year old. We just need somebody that's, you know, again, maybe on the varsity. I remember my son when he was a freshman at Loyola and there was a big star who was the senior, he was going on to Harvard and he was shooting at the other end of the court. And my son came home, like his tail was wagging so hard. And I said, what happened? He goes, Henry came all the way from the other end of the court and asked if he could shoot with me. Like he still talks about that, like those kind of things. So if you're on the, on the lower end of it, ask for help. If you're one of the people that's been doing it, give back. And that's how you're going to grow the game and you're going to change somebody's lives. And there's going to be a kid that's going to be talking about what you thought was like a no big deal. I just went down and shot with him. No, no, no. You went out of your way and said, you're important. I see you and I want you, I want it. I want you to feel seen. And, you know, again, it's, it's amazing.
1: And that's one of the most important things is like, we all want to just be seen as people, right? And we want to make sure that we are a valued member of the team, of society, of our community, right? Which is a big reason, right? Social media has blown up and we get all this attention. If we promote our athletes from the ages of seven and eight, oh, they're going to be so good, this and that. And. I'd love to dive into kind of the club topic just because Mm -hmm. I was in that world for a little bit. You know, you coach nine and ten year old girls for for club volley or not club volleyball but 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 for volleyball. And I just feel I feel like club is it's keeping up with the Joneses. And I feel like there are good programs out there. I don't want to say all the programs are bad, but in terms of like the system, it's it's designed for just winning and playing all year round. And I honestly feel like I watch players who go and play club their whole entire year. And then I see them the next year and they're pretty much the same exact player. Like it's not super development focused. So can you talk about like the importance of development and, and kind of obviously continue to weave in that, you know, your point around agency for player choice for whether they want to play club or whichever they want to choose
0: sorry i don't think i fully asked answered your question before too but to your point around making choices and what we're finding here i was just at a i got invited to they're getting already getting ready for la 2028 olympics and so they did a women's women in sport and supporting women and the the head of the u.s olympic committee uh kathy carter spoke about They've actually given, I think, three hundred thousand dollars back to youth sports because everything has become pay to play. And what we're not doing is developing the the grassroots. Because if you can't afford the five, ten, fifteen thousand dollars to play, you get you are opted out before you're even given a shot, before you even get to puberty, because it's not available to you. So one of the best things we can do as a society is, and and I know that happens in LA, I think in other places in the United States, it's better. Um, There are still rec leagues and YMCA leagues and all of that, but a lot of places where by the time you get to 12 or 13, unless you're paying for club, it's not even available to you. But yeah, unfortunately the club system has become, they're trying to make money. So, all of it is about rev- revenue generation. That comes when we win, when we win the title, then, and then you do, you have some, just like, you know, Beyonce probably had a better voice at 13 than most of us. Some, you know, entrepreneurs were out washing cars when they were eight. There are some athletes that I see. There's an athlete right now who's playing at Stanford. She's the best player to come out of the club that I was coaching at, at Sunshine. She's a client of mine. She had the three. She had the athleticism, you know, you can't teach size. She's six feet tall, six one. And she has that mindset that, yes, she's needed to work on it, but it was the trifecta of, and, she, and water off a duck's back. She could hit into the block 10 times and she's still swinging away. There are basketball players, you know, that have that mindset that's so locked in that, yes, it can be developed. And that's what I work with clients on and athletes on. We can all get better at mindset. But some people have a proclivity towards having basically all the tools in the toolbox, or you can see at least inklings of what they are. And if you talk about, you know, oh, so and so, when they were really young, we saw a lot of um, saw a lot of these talents early on. Um, so yes, it can be developed. But from a club standpoint, the club isn't rewarding taking a kid who's a Z level player and making them an R level player or a H level player and making them a B level player the club is being compensated and rewarding from top down that we have the best athletes and we nurture those ones because those are the ones that keep the lights on those are the ones that keep the banners up and those are the ones that are going to keep us bringing in the the Z to L level players who are going to pay for the top players, right? We're, we're gonna, you know, in basketball, I know, we'll fund the top players. The top team won't have to pay for anything. So we'll avoid um, the pay to play by, if you can't afford it, it's okay, we'll sponsor you. because But the ones that are not as good, you'll have to pay and you'll pay for everybody else.
1: Absolutely, and I'm I'm discovering that right now because I'm, you know, kind of new into business and, you know, Just truthfully and honestly, right now I am pay to play with a mindset of knowing where I want to go and I want to give out scholarships and I want to kind of eliminate that barrier. And I do notice, right, because I'm a freshman coach, so I get to see those who are in eighth grade who had the opportunity to train with me or train with others and just train, right, understand the Mm -hmm. game. They are just more skilled than those who I I talk to the parents. They're like, oh, you know i just haven't really had anyone to work with him um and they play some recreation basketball or you know you're not always you sometimes a lot with YMCA and recreation you only practice one time a week and then you're there and a lot of these other athletes are are playing two to three times, right? But, you know, that may not, and especially in LA, right? You're in LA, it's ridiculously expensive. It's hard to add that extra expense on top of, you know, rent, food, groceries, car payment, you know, like the list goes on, right? You know, like parents want to invest in their athletes, but it's so challenging because it's so expensive. So I think one of the things is like expanding that accessibility to like development is going to help not only like a high school team be better, but just like our, you know, kind of communities and and our people and our young people being able to, you know, build confidence.
0: And I think in some of the smaller, which we've lived all over Portland, San Diego, Buffalo, some of these smaller markets that we've been in where it's a dad who has a great heart. And like, I'm thinking of two different teams, one in Buffalo, one in San Diego, the dads had never played basketball before, but they were available to coach. And so, and they were good guys, but they didn't know any of the rules. They didn't, and they, you know, they wanted five offenses and three defenses and two out of bounds plays and they're 10. Right. And the kids are like, Omaha, what's Omaha? Like, I mean, they have no idea what they, what the, the, and and it wasn't, again, there was no, it wasn't like ill will. It was just them not really knowing. Okay. You know, and I write about that in the book is like when you're focused with little ones, it's, Friends, fun, and fundamentals. We're gonna learn how to dribble. We're gonna learn how to pass. We're gonna learn how to fingertips, wrinkle wrist, cookie jar. We're gonna learn how to shoot the right. You know, like, but whether we and we're gonna learn how to space the floor, because you know, like soccer. You know, you just see the clump around yeah. the ball moving right. Same with basketball. Wherever the the ball is, that's where the kids are. Just teaching them how to space out is a win. But we don't think of it that way. No, no, no. We gotta win. We've gotta have the best players in and. And that's why the little leagues, they, the little guys, they have to put in where you have to play certain kids for a certain amount of minutes because, again, parents will cheat because they want to win so bad. I mean, I have actually a story in the book, too, about for soccer, and the kid got a red card, and the parents made the kid who didn't get a play at all switch jerseys with the kid who got the red card so that the kid with the red card could play. And the coach knew it, and the parents knew it. And everybody on the sidelines knew it, but we need to win. <laughs> it's nuts. And they're 10.
1: They're you know? 10. And what did the I kids know. learn it from is, that? Is,
0: oh, if we no. cheat,
1: we can. Right. I know it's 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 wild, right? It really is wild. And as we kind of approach the last two minutes of our episode and, you know, is it the last set? Is that what you would call it in volleyball?
0: Yeah, there you go.
1: Okay. So the last set, um, yeah, the final timeout, we, you know, (laughs) we've covered a lot. Right. And I'd love to just kind of boil it down in terms of like, one of the things that I'm a big fan of, and that I'd like to do at the end with my athletes is ask them reflection questions. And so, you know, since you've given so much good information and wisdom, do you have good reflection questions for the parents and coaches that are listening, that can kind of shift some of their mindset and thinking around, you know, like, driving the bus in terms of you know an athlete's kind of career and then to like you know how can i be a more empowering coach how can i be a more empowering parent to for my athletes so they can start driving their own bus
0: parents the car ride home the only six Mm. words you need to say are i love to watch you play not that the coach was awful not that it was (laughs) the stupid kid that fouled me not that we cheated Nothing. I love to watch you play. You want to go get ice cream? That's it. And then we need to ask. If you want to talk about it, let me know. Well, we can talk about it. You want to talk about it tomorrow? Let me know. And if your child is growth mindset and really wants, you know, and you played or you have some experience, they may say, yeah, dad, or yeah, mom, what did you think? And if they ask you, then not because you said you want me to tell you, but they said, Yo, no, give me some information." then there the door is open if not let it ride let it let it and it's really hard to do and i'm saying it like it's easy it's not easy to do but then when they do come to you it's check in it's a lot of questions and you and what are our, our we know we've been through it we've had that experience we had a bad boss we had a bad coach so we want to share what we know but the learning happens when they get a chance to reflect so parents and coaches, ask questions, ask better questions, and get them to tell you what they think. And even if you think you know the answer, just sometimes we just need to articulate, oh, I actually knew that, but I hadn't said it out loud. So yeah, you know what? Basketball is really important to me, and I do want to get better, and I am going to go take the time to learn X, Y, or Z. But I would say I love to watch you play. Asking better questions. And as coaches, same thing. Like, have you really gotten to know what each player is there for? Some kids are there for the uniform. Some kids are there because it's what their parents wanted them to do after school. Some kids are there because they think they want to, you know, they're following Steph Curry's footsteps. All of them are great answers, and you can help each of them.
1: I love that. And I think I'm going to, I referenced this in a recent. Uh, episode as well. So it's the coaching habit say less, ask more, and change the way you lead forever. And I just like I I read this book again. I'm going to share the same story. I when I was coach or teaching first graders, like out of the pandemic, right? Um, like I didn't want to be. I like first graders are too young for me personally when it comes to like working with them in an after school setting. But of course, I know more
0: herding cats is what I herding cats
1: exactly. I could tell them to get in line, right? And I after I read this, like I had such a big shift, I didn't need to start asking, like, hey, where should you be? Right? So same thing for a parent in a car, right? Like, maybe they turn the ball over too much. Hey, you know, what did you see on, you know, a certain play? Hey, how do you feel like you take took care of the ball and like kind of get them to be the reflectors. And like, you know, so they can start, you know, building those skills and having that self awareness and ability to coach themselves, right? That's what I tell them, my athletes all the time, you have to be able to coach yourself, because at the end of the day, like, when you're done with sports, you know, and and you get rejected from a job, like, how are you going to coach yourself? Like, that's really what is going to matter the most. And so, you know, I'm sure that those that are listening, want to dive deeper into this. So can you, you know, take the time to share, you know, your podcast, the book where they can find and, you know, connect with you?
0: Oh, awesome, yes. Uh, So the book is called Raising Empowered Athletes Everywhere Books Are Sold. But easiest to get it is on Amazon or Barnes and Noble or again, wherever, wherever you like to shop for books, your favorite independent bookstore. Uh, The Raising Athletes podcast is on iTunes and Spotify and same, you can find it wherever. My website is called kirstenjonesinc.com. If you jump on there, I've got free recruiting tools. I've got, I'm going to actually put a mindset tool on there today, which I think is going to be super fun because a lot of the work I do is with athletes who are looking for more tools in the toolbox before they go onto the floor, before they step onto the court. So you can find a lot of stuff. Follow my journey. I'm speaking all over the United States this fall. Uh, literally. So um, I'm just the book is just out came out in August. And, and I, my my goal is to get into schools and work with coaches and work with parents. This is for everybody, everybody who touches an athlete, we all want to raise happy, brave, resilient kids. And sports is such a great vehicle to do that. Um, There's so much more they get out of sports than just, you know, the trophy or the win.
1: Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Kirsten. I look forward to staying in contact and um, keep empowering those athletes because it's really important and it's what it's all about.
0: Thank you for having me, Justin. This is thank you for
1: listening to this episode of the Bridging Impact Podcast. We'd love it if you would like subscribe leave a comment and a review on whatever platform you're on it's the best way to help us grow we appreciate you for doing that we'll shout you out on social media i'd also love if you connected with me on social media let me know your thoughts and this is why i do it i want to share knowledge and wisdom from experienced leaders to people like yourself and myself so we can have this dialogue and move forward make an impact on the world so stay tuned stay subscribed